Thanks to Harry's for supporting Industry Focus. Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades, they'll give you a free trial shave set when you sign up at harrys.com slash fool. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 17th, and we're talking Roku and eating a little crow. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not much. It's a big, uh, big earnings release here for Roku's first public First one is a public company. I can't remember anything quite like what we've seen with Roku over the past week and a half. Can you? It's pretty wild. I mean, the stock doubled in like three days. <laughs> yeah, it is is by far the hottest tech stock on the market right now. Uh, they dropped their first earnings report last week, and since then, I think the stock's up over 110%. And that rise is absolutely baffling. It puts them at just under a $4 billion company. We're going to do our best to explain what's going on on today's show. Um, I guess maybe to start, we should just kind of run through the top line numbers from the earnings report. Sure, yeah, go for it. So, the company clocked in with $124 million in revenue for the quarter, which handily beat street expectations of $110 million for the top line. Um, The company is not yet profitable, uh, lost $8 million during the quarter. And you look over, and that's not surprising given the phase that they're at as a company. Um, you look over at some of the key metrics, and this is really where you get a flavor for what's going on for the business for them. One of the big ones is active accounts, uh, and these are accounts that have streamed in the last 30 days. That number was up 48% year over year, uh, which is now just under 17 million, which is some pretty incredible growth. Right. And um, you know, hours streamed is also up quite nicely. I forget the percentage, but it's, it was 3.8 billion hours during the quarter. Um, unit sales are up. They, they don't disclose unit sales in absolute uh, numbers, but they said unit sales are up 35%. So, you know, putting up some strong growth figures and kind of a lot of the, you know, big metrics there. The thing I was particularly impressed with on the active account side was uh, that's actually an acceleration in the growth that they'd been seeing. I think they'd been somewhere in the low 40% range um, prior to and, you know, being up around 40, 48% year over year in this most recent quarter uh, as an acceleration there. Um, you know, not surprisingly, they're also showing good growth on the average revenue per user. Um, that is up 37% year over year to $12.68 on a trailing 12 month basis. Um, and so, so you mentioned units. Uh, maybe it's worth kind of going back and talking about how this company makes money, the different segments here, um, because there's a lot of numbers being flown around. But uh, this is a device company, and, and typically you think of a device company as very being very reliant on their unit sales uh, to really make money, and, and that's not quite the case with Roku. Right, they're they're doing this really aggressive shift toward the platform business and. You know, they mentioned on this release that this is the first time that they've ever had over half of all new accounts during the quarter came from licensed sources. So they have this Roku TV program where they license their platform out to TV manufacturers. And this is a pretty important you know, notion and, and trend that's happening because the whole idea is to shift from the player business to the platform business. And Roku has explicitly said that they're not really interested in growing plat- or hardware revenue or gross profit anymore, you know. And through this licensing program, they get to earn revenue when they license it out to TV ma- manufacturers, and then they also get to grow active accounts. So it's really kind of like the best of both worlds for them. And I think it's kind of like this interesting idea. Like if you kind of extrapolate this this idea, imagine theoretically in like five or ten years, if Roku can really pull this off, and you know, just theoretically. <laughs> What if they no longer sell hardware in five or ten years, and it's really like a streaming TV platform pure play? I mean, what would the margins look like? How much better can they scale? They eliminate all these fundamental risks of hardware operations, which is just a really hard 
you know, logistics around it. And, you know, what kind of valuation multiples can they justify if they can, you know, pull off this type of pivot? I mean, it's just, it's just really, it's a really interesting thing to think about if you fast forward what, what this could look like in you know, a few years. And a lot of device companies have tried to make the switch from being a manufacturer, hardware manufacturer to being a platform play, right? We've seen that with Fitbit. We've seen that with GoPro. Uh, in the past, it hasn't really been done all that gracefully. Um, but it does seem like Roku kind of has something here. Um, either they're kind of getting it at the right time with uh, digital streaming, or perhaps that experience just lends itself a little bit more to this integrated platform. Um, but it's, it's working. I mean, it's, it's being borne out in the financials. So, so there's a lot that's going on there. Um, you know, this is something that they've prioritized for quite some time. Uh, you know, the the mo for the company, and and I think this is kind of a, a testament to management have a finger on a pulse for maybe where the industry will be going, where the company should be going. Is we're not going to be making money on the devices long term. We're going to be basically coming in as low as we can price point wise uh, because we want people to be using the platform. Um, and actually, uh, you know, in the past, I think in the first half of 2017, that resulted in them having year over year declines in their uh, device segment. They actually showed growth in the device segment uh, for this most recent quarter. So even with that strategy, they were able to show, I think, some low single digit growth there. Right. And they, it's worth noting that they also just refreshed their hardware lineup last month. So as we, right, right at the beginning of the fourth quarter, um, so you know they do. They still are making these these devices, and it's still important uh, way to acquire new users. But I think that you know they're, they're very. I think it's it's very good that they're upfront with investors in terms of the narrative. Like, hey, we really don't care that much about the the financials of the hardware uh, as long as it can grow active accounts. Which is amazing, actually, because fifty four percent of revenue for the most recent quarter came from their device segment. Uh, the platform revenue, which is really where things are going, was fifty eight million, which is about forty six percent of revenue. Um, so that it's slowly making that transition. The first half of twenty seventeen, uh, the platform revenue is only about forty percent of revenue. Um, so. So for uh, for as much as they are not emphasizing it, it is still a pretty big part of their top line. And I think it's really you can't ignore the the discrepancy in the margins. Like the the platform gross margin is, is literally ten times as high as the player uh, gross margin. Uh, last you know, for, to put the numbers to it, it was like eight percent versus like seventy eight percent on the platform side. So I mean it, it's just so much more profitable, and that's exactly why they're why they're really pushing the platform business. And within that segment, ads is making up about two thirds of the revenue for them. Um, I think the it's basically ads, licensing, uh, and, and what is the third component of that? Do you remember, Evan? Uh, th- those are the two biggest. I mean, the they, they get like a tiny bit of revenue from the, these little dedicated buttons <laughs> on the remote. Um, but the, the the real core is really, it's really ads, which is about two thirds, and licensing, which is about a third, like you mentioned. Those are the two big pieces. The, the other one's like a, a really tiny part of it. And so we look at this massive spike, this 110% spike since they dropped these earnings. Uh, I think that this has to be the market reacting a bit to, oh, this ad business seems to really have some legs. Yeah, I mean, they are definitely doing a really good job executing. And a big part of it is this new Roku channel that they launched, um, I think I want to say beginning of September, which really kind of consolidates a lot of content on the platform. I mean, they've mentioned that a lot of this content is actually already available on the platform, but it's harder to find because it's spread out among like a bunch of different types of apps. So having one dedicated channel, even if it's the same content coming from the same content provider, it gives that content more visibility and they can monetize it better. And then both Roku and the content owner 
both benefit from that because more people are actually using it and then they can monetize that usage through you know, advertising and all these other things. And that's kind of addressing something that we were a little wary of when we went through their S1, right? Was we looked at the main drivers of usage for their platform and it's it's Netflix and it's YouTube and they don't really make much money off of those relationships. You know, I think the top five streaming partners or apps for them make up about 70%. I think Netflix is, uh, what, about 33%? Yeah, it's about a third. And it's still a third. Um, in, their, in their recent 10Q that they filed for the quarter, they, all, they confirmed again that Netflix is still about a third of all usage. They still don't really get any revenue from it at all. Like, I think, I think quite literally the only revenue they get from Netflix is that dedicated Netflix button on, <laughs> on the remote because uh, they don't really monetize it. I don't, you know, they don't really sell it through the platform. They don't, they can't advertise on it. Um, so, so long as they can, you know, monetize the rest of you, <laughs> the usage, I think they'll be okay. But that is a good chunk of, uh, of the viewership that they're not really making any money on. And this is the kind of move that makes sense both from a financial perspective and a user experience perspective, right? Like, it's creating more revenue opportunities for the business, but it's also helping with content discovery for people on the platform. Right. So, we're going to talk about looking forward, what to expect from this business, and really, like, can this company live up to these expectations? Uh, before we get over to that discussion, though, I just want to thank Harry's for supporting Industry Focus. Listeners who have caught the video segments of the show know that I don't really use a razor too often, but when I found out that Harry's was supporting the show, I figured I'd see what I'd been missing. With Harry's, I got a good close shave, no nicks, thanks to their blade's comfortable glide. Even as an amateur shaver, I had a great experience, and I am not the only one. Over three million guys have switched over to Harry's. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they'll give you their free trial shave set when you sign up over at harrys.com. All you have to do is pay for shipping. That trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. And for those of you looking to get your holiday shopping done early, Harry's just released their special edition holiday sets. They make great gifts. You might want to check them out. To get your free trial set or browse the holiday gifts, you can go over to harrys.com slash fool right now. That's harrys.com slash fool. Okay, so Evan, something that kind of had me scratching my head when I was looking at Roku and their most recent release was the guidance kind of marrying that back to what they just posted. So you look at what the company did for the first half of 2017, and they posted 23% year-over-year growth. This most recent quarter, they hit 40% year-over-year growth, and they are guiding to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 175 to 190 million for Q4 which would be somewhere in the mid to high 20s for growth. What is going on there? So I think what we're seeing here is just a lot of bumpiness. That's a couple of factors. So, you know, obviously we talked about they have two main segments, player and platform. And the player business is a harder business. So it's naturally going to be really bumpy, kind of subject to seasonality that you see with all consumer electronics and also tied to when you have product releases, which you know, companies differ when, when they refresh their products. So, I mean, the, the player business, you do see some lumpiness just based on all of these factors, uh, which is all perfectly normal for a hardware business that's consumer electronics. Uh, and, and specifically, they, they did refresh their, their lineup in September of 2016, which is why they put a really strong Q4 2016 on the hardware side, um, which is what kind of why, you know, for the guidance going forward, they're projecting something like 20, 24% growth or something like that at the midpoint. It's just a tough comparison against that quarter. But if you look at the platform side of the business, which again is where they want investors to focus on, like we've talked about, it's been kind of like the steady march up 
you know, it's just going up and to the right, just very like almost every quarter, it's just a sequential increase as they really grow this business and execute really well. So I think, you know, you do have to kind of dig down into like the two segments to see what's going on in each segment. And that kind of explains some of the the overall bumpiness that you see in these growth rates from quarter to quarter. And that right there, I think, highlights one of the huge benefits of being more of a service-oriented business, right? Like, your cash flows are going to be far more predictable once you have a good installed base and you can understand what you're going to be able to generate off of that installed base. Uh, you know, the problem with being in hardware is that you need to keep churning out hits and, you know, one big miss can can kind of really mess up your year. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I do, I really do like this this transition to the platform business. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think it, it is kind of exciting to think about this kind of long off goal of, and I don't, not that they've articulated this as a goal, this is just me speculating, but this idea of like, if they actually got to a point where they didn't need to make the hardware anymore, that would be pretty exciting because then they're really a software and services and like a, a platform play more than a hardware play. So, so I mentioned the focus on growth rates here because when you look at the current valuation for Roku, it's pretty darn rich. And, and I think that uh, pinning down exactly how you might expect this company to grow over the next couple quarters, the next couple years, is pretty important if you're willing to basically pay eight times current sales for the stock. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that valuation, Evan? Eight, it's like eight or nine times sales, and it's, it's just insane. And I honestly, I suspected that a short squeeze might have driven the run-up. Um, but S3 Partners, which is one of these financial analytics firms that specializes in measuring short sale, uh, short selling activity, and they have access to a lot more data than public investors like we do. Uh, and they actually said that a short squeeze did not drive the run up. And um, it's, it's worth pointing out that short interest is currently about 30% afloat. And Roku has two share classes. They have Class A and Class B. Uh, the total combined is something like 90, 94 million shares outstanding for both classes, but only Class A shares are traded publicly, and there's only like 17 or 18 million shares. Of that, only 15 or so is the float. So this company, I mean, most of those shares are are, are locked up, either held by insiders, the Class B shares, um, or you know, so so the float is actually really small. So what that does is that amplifies movements because anytime you have a lot of interest or trading activity. There's just not a lot of supply to go around, so but, you know this cuts both ways. I mean, the stock is going to jump or tank. You know, really, you know, it's going to be really volatile just by virtue of that. And it's interesting when you, when you know speaking about the short stuff. Like, I, part of the reason I thought there was a short squeeze is because you know you have such a high short interest of percent of flow. The borrowing costs are also really high, um, which it, it, this is kind of nuts. But I, I I've been checking in on borrowing costs and. Uh, last week, they were, I was quoted at 20 25%. Uh, earlier this week, I was quoted at 20 25%. And I called this morning, I was quoted 85%. And, <laughs> and Evan, costs. would you mind kind of walking listeners through borrowing costs? Because that's actually something I'm not quite as familiar with myself. Sure, sure. So any, anytime uh, a stock is hard to borrow, which means the, the the demand for short shares to borrow is exceeds the supply by quite a bit. And when companies go public, there's not really a lot of uh, share supply available short in general, so it's it, so it's it's really hard to get these shares. So if these shares are really hard to get, there's a fee associated with borrowing them if you want to if you want to short sell them. And the way this fee works is it's quoted as an annual percentage. So for example, the 85 percent I mentioned earlier, you take the dollar value that you're trying to short based on current prices, you multiply that by 85 percent, and then you and that's your annual fee. The, the broker will prorate that down to a daily fee, 
uh, so you know one out you divide out by 360 or 365 or something and then that's the fee you pay for that day and then of course over time if these borrowing costs change then your fees will fluctuate too um, but 85% is just an insane cost because if you're looking to short this stock um, and then you want to – you have to pay that upfront, that fee, again, prorated down, but still very high. Uh, and then you know when you close out your position, you need to be overcoming that fee in order for your trade to be profitable. And it's just a function of you know, like all things, supply and demand. So there's an incredible demand for, for short – to short the stock right now. So it – even if the run-up was not driven by a short squeeze and there's still quite a bit of short interest, there's even more short interest now that the stock has doubled because everyone's like, the stock has doubled in three days and it's trading in nine-time sales. I want to short this thing. <laughs> but it's it's going to be really expensive. I think you could have made a really great drinking game out of that segment by just like having, having to take <laughs> a drink every single time Evan said short. Uh, um, so so this, all, this discussion, we talked about this company when they dropped their S1 and yeah, we weren't really all that bullish on it, frankly. I think I think we basically wrapped that episode by saying that it's a business that it's it's an okay business, but it's one that neither of us are particularly excited about. Um, I think a lot of people looking at the recent returns have to be like, you know, what do you guys think now? Like, do you think you were wrong about this? Um, our big concerns back then, and I think many of them still kind of hold. You know, you have competition from Apple, Amazon, Google in the streaming space. Um, we were kind of worried that users were spending a lot of time on apps that don't make Roku any money, like Netflix. Uh, what you see in the financials here, and and maybe what we've seen just kind of on the consumer side of the last couple months, anything change your mind here, Evan? Well, I think like so. Last time we talked about, it, I think the main concerns that we we hit on were a the transition to the ad business and, and being able to execute, and b the valuation, right? And I think that. One of the, I think, on the execution side, they've definitely really they've put up some great numbers. I mean, this quarter was really strong. The fundamentals are they're they're really executing very well with this transition. So I think that addresses kind of our first concern. But now the stock is doubling, <laughs> and now the valuation looks even more ridiculous. So that part looks even worse now, in my opinion. So I, I do think that they're putting up a really good, um, you know, financials. But I just I can't I can't justify a stock trading in nine times sales when. I mean, they, they execute really well this quarter, but again, execution is, is a long-term thing that you have to keep executing, and there's still a lot of uncertainty and risk, and not to undermine how much you know how well they did this quarter, but I, I can't get past the valuation. I, I'm still going to sit on the sidelines on this one. Something I'm kind of interested in with this uh, with this platform is what does ad load look like, and how much can they continue to increase that? You know, is the two big levers for an ad business are going to be what you charge, uh, and I think they mentioned that they had like thirty dollars CPMs or something like that, and you know how many how many times you can give people ads during their experience. Um, and I was talking with Vince Chen, who CG host uh, owns a Roku and loves it, and he said, you know, I don't feel like I'm being shown a lot of ads right now. Um, I wonder if that's because he's spending all of his time on Netflix and he's in experiences that don't <laughs> allow him to be shown ads, or if because uh, there's a big ramp that they still have available to them to roll out ads on the platform. I'm not sure which one of those that is yet. Uh, I think I need to kind of uh, look at the Roku experience from the user side a little bit more and kind of understand what's going on on the platform. Um, and I will put it out to listeners, if any of you own Rokus, I'd love to get some perspective on this because I don't have one and, and I need to spend some time in front of one to really understand this business a little bit better. We should just go buy one for like thirty bucks. <laughs> I know. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll put it on my holiday list. Uh, you know, my mom was asking me the other day if there's anything I wanted for Christmas, so that might be perfect. Um, cool, Evan. Anything else before I let you go? 
No, I think we covered it. I do want to spend a couple minutes talking with Austin Morgan because uh, Austin spent the other day in some training uh, for our audio stuff, and there's a little bit of an update on the sound of industry focus. So as a multimedia team, we went through some training uh, from a professional sound mixer who taught us more in depth about EQing and compression and mastering and all of that good stuff. So if it sounds better, let us know. If it sounds worse, also let us know. But in theory, it should sound pretty good. One thing I will say, you, you, I'm glad you guys went to the training, but you guys are already very good at your jobs. Um, and, and one of the funniest things, we recently had Fuelpalooza, our annual business meetings, um, where you know everyone hangs out and kind of has a day away from work to just kind of focus on what's going on with the Fool. And we had a couple members there uh, for this member panel. And one member said she loves the podcast and she particularly loves how the podcasts are mixed, which I, I don't have an ear for that. But I guess some people do. So you're clearly doing something very well, Austin. She's currently my favorite member. <laughs> I can understand why if I got that kind of praise. A full, a full company shout out of the audio mixing of the podcast. While you guys were also running an event that, while, that while required we live streaming yeah. and mixing, right? It's great. Yeah. It's a cherry on top. Um, so listeners, if anything sounds funky with this episode or if it sounds particularly great, um, also write in and let us know because we would love to know more about that on your end. Uh, otherwise, I think that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, Austin Morgan, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on.